yeah, I think I really think all clothes should be designed kind of like how maternity clothes are. And I really think more people who are not pregnant, never don't have the equipment for that even like should look into maternity wear because let me tell you pants that are leggings around the waist and jeans below your shirt I'm I'm never going back episode is brought to you by Winging It. That's where you can find my audio course on honing your intuition. It's designed to help you stop second guessing and start living your heart out. You can find it at winging-it.net. Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. Here we are, and I'm so excited to talk with you right now. <laughs> We're really figuring some stuff out. We really are. Our um, two-person Slack team is like on fire right now. like the most satisfying you know the episode of the tv show where it all comes together I feel like that's the moment we're in you know there were some times of strife and uncertainty and they will come again but right now it's a very satisfying rat-a-tat of life transformation yes yes and of course in um I I want to hold on to the perspective of non-attachment and not cling to <laughs> such a time or hope that it lasts forever because as we've figured out together, perfect from now on does not exist. Mm-hmm. Perpetual Diana. transformation would be scary, not, uh, not fun, we think, but right <laughs> now, very fun. <laughs> very fun. Okay, I'm not sure if we've talked about perfect from now on and the acronym on on the podcast please could could we talk about it because whenever I tell other people about it they're really into it oh absolutely uh so perfect from now on uh we abbreviate with each other as pfnw which doesn't even make sense but it's kind of perfect uh because it's an imperfect translation of the concept it was just a typo one time and it took us like two weeks to realize it because you know perfect from now on on doesn't start with a w but pfnw all the way it's our term it's just like true friends true friends of should we the podcast that was a typo too and that's that's real that's our you know that's our community so pfnw is a very common phrase i would say it gets used at least once a week when one of us realizes that we're in the moment of hope and craving, that's like, this is good. Now let me just hold on to it forever. Um, like, oh, the house is finally clean. Now I just need to keep it that way. Like, oh, 
now I finally have a single outfit I can wear. Great. We're good. Perfect from now on. <laughs> right. And now I just and, need to keep it up and to the right on this high base. Yes. And so we, we, we playfully catch each other by sending, be, by being like, oh, it must be perfect from now on. Or we'll say like, there, remember, there's no such thing as perfect from now on. And for me these days, it'll be like, oh my God, I finally found the perfect maternity bra. Um, it, you know, you're in, you're, you're, you're in dangerous territory when you say finally, because it sounds like, mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. this is the last time I will ever do this in my life, you know? And uh, yeah, that's not a thing. That's not a thing with maternity bras or many other things in life. It is not a thing. And that is uh, quite disappointing because kind of like, what is there to even hope for if you can't hope for things finally being just the way they were always supposed to be and staying that way? <laughs> but it is reality. It is reality. So it's important to work with reality. Right. And one way that we very often um, find hope and joy in the fact that there's no such thing as perfect from now on is that because things um, constantly lean toward imperfect and the ducks at least one duck is always straying out of line it tends to catalyze an endless stream of opportunities exactly i hope you were going there um yeah. yes opportunities are another lisa and diana classic term it's hard to even remember it's not a real word because we use it so frequently I first learned it from a dear colleague who, uh, you know, I had this panic about needing to dress for a photo shoot or something. And she was like, oh, that's just a shop opportunity. I'll go with you. And I thought that was so great. And uh, it is true that, you know, shopping maybe has its own problems, but I think that it's okay to admit that it's also a source of joy and interest and curiosity just possibilities it's you know exploring and evaluating possibilities and that can be really wonderful um and so you know every problem is a opportunity if looked out the right way and uh <laughs> and, and that can give life a little injection of oh maybe there is a solution yeah of course this is not to say that you can buy something to solve every problem well i mean you can, but it might not work. Buying a thing might not, <laughs> not be the solution. Um, and also it could be really stressful, like when I've been broke and it's like, oh, nice opportunity. I cannot buy anything um, right now. Right, right. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, it's, there's definitely yeah. a dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, but you know what? Shadows and contrast make life interesting.
I think mostly today will probably be on the light side of opportunities, but I mean, it's definitely, I think that I could find a way to justify it where it's like, well, you could also, you know, it's really an exploratunity or something, you know, but really (laughs) mostly, yes, it is true that when I, you know, when I feel that, that itch of like, ah, something's not quite right, the most satisfying, consistent, uh, you know, high autonomy way to deal with that is to try to turn it into what could I bring into my life whether it's a service or an object or you know or you know a piece of content a book you know what could I bring into my life that might ease this or bring me to a new place yeah I think the moral of this story is that we both enjoy online shopping Um, we certainly do. And that's just the truth. So that's, that's what we're working with today. Just being honest here. Um, and and it reminds me of how our, you know, this podcast is called should we, and very often it, it is not advice. It's literally when we say we, we mean the two of us. Other people are welcome yeah, to take yeah. <laughs> take whatever's <laughs> helpful and leave the rest. Exactly. Um, so, okay. The topic for today is should we step out? And there are a couple components we've been thinking of talking about under this umbrella um, is all kind of related to where we are at in a lot of the US with the pandemic where um, uh, there are lots of people are vaccinated, lots of places are lifting restrictions, lots of offices are asking people to come back or demanding they come back. Basically, um, there, even though the pandemic isn't over, um, there's lots of both opportunity and requirement to like leave our homes um, and do things we have not done in a long time. And uh, so the first thing I wanted to talk about is something like trends I've noticed among my clients. And then the second thing, I want to talk about is um, our style journeys. How does that yes. sound, Diana? <laughs> it sounds like a hope sandwich. <laughs> you know, start with some opportunity uh, talk, then go into uh, you know the shadow side of life, and then come out the other side with some ideas. Oh yeah, love it, hope sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay, this this first piece is like, basically, I just want to share what it's like for me to be a coach right now and what I'm noticing. Um, I I have felt ever since the pandemic started, uh, and especially like last summer was a high point of this, like it's that I've never seen 
so much of my clients all coming to me with saying the exact same things, having very similar um, problems they want to work through at the same time. Uh, like sometimes in the past, in past years, it would line up. Or a lot of times there would be something I'm working through and then a client would show up with that a similar thing too. But it's like um, uh, right now, I actually went through and looked at the numbers and basically maybe about 40% of my clients are all dealing with like pretty severe like mental and emotional distress in a way that I, I have not seen before. Um, many people um, needing and taking uh, different types of leave, mental health leave, medical leave, um, uh, uh, just longer than usual vacation time, um, like, uh, basically I've been talking about leave with a lot of my clients um, and other ways to support themselves during this time. Um, and of course, each person is different. Every situation is very individual. And yet, I just am noticing lots of people hitting breaking points of overwhelm, burnout, anxiety, um, like some real deep stuckness in all different forms. And I just wanted to mention it. I have also uh, spoken about with this, with some other um, like wellness providers, and they have validated this, that they're seeing something similar too, just like many clients, even like clients who have um, great support and resources and do seek out what they need to take care of themselves, just really hitting walls. And so it's almost like a, like a PSA or something. I just want to say, if you feel like you're approaching something like that, um, or if you're in something like that where you're just feeling real low right now, um, you're definitely not alone. And I will just get on my leave soapbox and say that, that I, I really encourage taking whatever time off might be available to you, asking um, if there are benefits at your work, like, uh, you know, mental health leave or ex extended leaves of different kinds. Um, don't wait until you actually hit the breaking point. Uh, definitely do it proactively. And, and I know um, taking that time can be a really, really hard decision. Um, but I, I encourage it strongly to give yourself the space to find other, what, whatever else you need to support you and restore you. Um, Diana, uh, anything, is there anything coming up for you as I'm sharing this? Well, 
I would like to get up on the leave soapbox with you. And uh, something that often helps me when I feel stuck is just to think of things from the other person's perspective. And if you think of your employer, your manager, they would with 99% certainty prefer that you take leave instead of quit, right? Because at least leave includes the option, the possibility that you would come back refreshed. And I think that separating out not for now and not ever again can be really useful because if you think of the only options as stay indefinitely or rage quit, you know, or sad quit or quit in any sort of way, then you're bundling together, you know, needing time off and needing, you know, permanent mental separation from an environment. And it could be that that's what you need. So you know, that's a fine, a fine outcome. But I think that meditating on the possibility of leave can be really clarifying. And if you haven't been meditating on it, it might be because you feel like it would be such a hard conversation with your manager, or whoever's in charge of these things at work. And I think that it can be clarifying and, and hope giving to just realize that also quitting is a hard conversation. And so but hard conversations are allowed, you know, that's okay. It, it's, it can be hard. And the tone of a leave conversation can be, I'm just at my limit and I don't know what to do. And I think that some time off would really help me. And I'd like to understand my options. That's a very, uh, you know, you didn't, there's, there's versions of that for every level of vulnerability uh, that feels that feels safe in that environment. I know that all not all management relationships are maximally supportive, but the words I just said, I think, would be okay to say in many environments. And just imagining that that's possible, and realizing that you know it might be better for everybody. And probably what you need is just some time to sleep. You know, not just sleep, but sleep is a good start. And being able to have some space to get some sleep and see how things look on the other side of enough sleep uh, can be a really, a really meaningful step. I think that speaks to the fact that time off, no matter how long, is not necessarily going to solve whatever's going on, um, but it's a starting point. It's just, it's about creating space for what, whatever you do need. And one big thing that I'm definitely recommending a lot is to arrange therapy or get, get a therapist and get started with the therapeutic process. Um, often in the, um, when I start to work with a new client, um, they may ask, or I will just proactively explain the difference between coaching and therapy. Um, but I also often say, hey, if you have access to both, like if you have the resources to get both, if your, your benefits include both, like get both. If you've been wondering about therapy or if you've been thinking, do I need a therapist or a coach? Like, 
try therapy, you know, definitely check that out. Um, and I think that it can, uh, in my experience, it has felt really hard to get a therapist to, uh, check my insurance benefits, browse directories, reach out, get an appointment soon in a time when I feel low. And so I think that like taking time off during which your main priorities are rest and get that therapy appointment set up, uh, that can be really worthwhile. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had very important experiences in my life with therapy too. And one thing that I'm hearing is that we are in this window where if you can find therapists who are accepting new patients, you know, Zoom therapy can be a much easier, more accessible entry point to experiencing a therapist for the first time. It's just way less fraught than going to a new office with a new smell that's a new, new neighborhood and trying to find one that's not so far from an office that you know you're going to have to take three hours once a week to do the round trip transit and you know sit in the waiting room and stuff you know you can just really streamline a lot of the variables by uh, by you know working with the fact that all psychotherapists essentially had to open their minds to offering care over phone or video or, or whatever. And many are more open to that than they were. And, you know, even if it's not your, your steady state, eventually, it's a much different experience to coordinate first meetings when you're able to do that first meeting over Zoom. And I think that that also can create less of a feeling of it being high stakes to, you know, whether it'll work or not, because it's just a much lighter lift, you know, you're not kind of not that first day of school vibe where you're walking into a new space in a new neighborhood that's unfamiliar to you and, and wondering, is this it? You can really line up three or four different first appointments and then have a compare and contrast conversation with yourself where you're able to say, who is right for me? Who's the best for me out of everyone I talked to? And that's a much different thing than, you know, will they accept me? Will they reject me? Will this work? And um, how am I being evaluated? And maybe this is my thing, you know, with how <laughs> I relate to therapists and many care providers, you know, so I don't want to project that on anyone else. But if this is resonating for you, just know that a world of Zoom therapy may have some advantages for you. Yeah. And not just Zoom, phone as well. My, my therapist does yeah. phone. And I love that. I work with my clients audio only, and um, there are a whole bunch of reasons for that. It's it's on purpose. And my therapist, like we, I used to go to her office, and then uh, she started doing phone during the pandemic, and I'm loving it. Very, it's very convenient. My goodness, um, yeah. So definitely. Uh, Definitely, put, I want to put out lots of encouragement out there for, for finding yourself the right therapist. Oh, I also wanted to mention that in my experience, um, you can learn so much about the match 
before you have a first appointment if you speak on the phone. So basically, a lot of us um, find it easier to like reach out to a therapist by email or something. Um, but uh, I have found it's a lot more helpful to me if I call them and they may be in the session, uh, whatever, I leave a message and they call me back. You know, we may play a little phone tag, but eventually we talk on the phone just about uh, potentially scheduling an appointment. And, um, and then we, whenever I have done that, normally it's, it's a little bit of a longer conversation where they're like, you know, what do you, what do you want to come in for? Or what did, how did you find me? How did you decide to reach out? Whatever. And um, I've learned so much just from that little conversation. I have had that conversation and it, it hung up and been like, I'm definitely not going to see that therapist. Um, and then I've had that conversation and felt like, oh, this person is really nice. And I think they might be what I need. Yeah. And I'm glad I get to see them at this first appointment. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't, don't be, try not to be afraid to call on the telephone, which I know is such an old school technology. Yes. Yes. Well, I think this is also a really wonderful thing to ask for support on if you're comfortable, you know, it's much less fraught for, uh, you know, a really close friend to, you know, do the same online searching you would have done and try to come up with a short list of three to five names and phone numbers. And, you know, if you have a friend who's willing to do that for you, that can be a really meaningful, you know, two hour task for them. And then if you just can use all your courage and bravery to call those numbers one after another, and just make sure that you give yourself access to a few different possibilities so that you're in that open-minded comparative place where you're tuning into what's right for you rather than I just want to get it over with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I kind of want to transition to our, our other thing, which is related. So basically, um, in the umbrella of, of, um, distress that I'm observing, one category that's coming through a whole lot is around appearance. Tons of fears and anxiety about stepping out into the world again, about being seen. Lots of what sounds to me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, but it sounds to me like body dysmorphia, just generally real harsh lenses on one's body um and like a lot of people have experienced a lot of changes in their body or a lot of changes in how they see their body um during the pandemic and quarantines um the it, the aspect of change has been true for both of us um and so now that it's time to like be out and about more, uh, both of us have been uh, experiencing 
something with our wardrobes and our personal styles and we haven't even figured out what to call it but it could be something along the lines mm -hmm. of earthquake <laughs> lots of stuff falling off the shelves <laughs> nothing quite as it should be very loud noises very disruptive a giant um, a giant abyss yeah, you know, opening up where uh, many <laughs> yeah, of the right. things we actually own have to fall into the abyss and never be seen again. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And that abyss, at the bottom of that abyss is goodwill. <laughs> <It's right laughs> <up>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, uh... <laughs> true. Yeah, true. it's, uh, it's been, it's so interesting, because uh, there's many levels of change, right? Like, each of our bodies has changed in the last year and a half uh, because of the reasons that everyone's have changed. Just life has looked very different and that means bodies change too, but also for each of us through pregnancy. And I went through my second pregnancy in the start of the pandemic and uh, you know, Lisa, you're in the middle of one now and that's a time of enormous change for, for, for a body. And so you know, combined yeah. with coming out on the other side for now as a slightly different person, you know, the same person, but just, uh, I don't think that I've been able to express the same degree of incremental change through my wardrobe that I normally would have, even as not a style hound, you know, I'm a pretty simple style person, but Normally, I'm kind of always adding, you know, one or two items a month, and my style sort of shifts with the times and shifts with me. I was hardcore in joggers and tank tops and long cardigans for the past many, many, many months. And so I don't have an accumulation of, you know, an iterative evolved style. It's very harsh. It's very like, I have nothing to wear, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's where I'm at. And uh, I had to make a decision uh, on whether to despair or do something about it. And I decided to do something about it. Uh, and uh, the good news is I'm in a very happy part of that cycle right now. But it was not the easiest, you know, not the easiest road to begin down. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think what one thing that this is that our experiences are highlighting is like the body is always changing. And it doesn't matter who you are or how aware you are of it. Like maybe your body is changing very subtly, but like your cells are changing, you're aging, like it's always mm -hmm. happening and we're always changing as people. But the for in some ways, the pandemic has um, magnified change for many of us, magnified our sense of that change. And then uh, like pregnancy and parenthood also uh, magnifies that those changes again, like, oh my gosh, my body is so dynamic. Well, it was always dynamic, but it's more extreme now. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And I think that it's possible to just feel like uh, 
it's so yeah so stark because if you're not keeping up with the changes uh you know it doesn't feel uh it, it it feels more gradual more gentle and uh the experience right now is not necessarily so gentle i mean at a very base level as we were realizing we're just older also you know uh yeah. when i started my journey toward parenthood i was 30 and now i'm 34 you know, that's a significant increase in my years. And, you know, anybody can wear anything. Age doesn't determine that. But I am different than I used to be. And I have different tastes. And I didn't buy a whole lot of clothes when I was in the mode of, you know, I'm going to be pregnant or just having been pregnant for, you know, an unknown tunnel until I have, you know, as many kids as I'm going to have. So, yeah, it's uh it's just interesting to really see that, you know, nothing is perfect from now on, but bodies are really never perfect from now on. There's no such thing as finally, my body is the way it always will be. Absolutely not. Yeah. There's no finally until you're dead, but actually I learned recently that your body keeps changing in some ways after you're dead, but that's kind of, maybe we won't talk about that right now. Okay, so yeah, no need to race to the finally here. Um, I've also said before on this podcast that I don't believe in investment pieces when it comes to clothing. Everything is seasonal, by, by which I mean for a season in your life. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the most confronting, but also most liberating realizations, because you might think that would mean, oh, well, now I can't buy anything nice because I was justifying it by amortizing it over hundreds of wares over the next 10 years. Uh, Well, you can't amortize it, but you can still have nice things. You know, you can you can have nice things. It's okay if you can afford it, you can have it. Um, it's just a matter of prioritization, like anything else. And not all expensive things are nice and not all nice things are expensive. So it's just important to know your values and not get caught up in, you know, mental math to justify things. Yeah. Yeah. And also another reason I, I don't like the amortizing approach to decision-making with clothes is because in my experience, I truly don't know how long something's going to last me. I mean, I have had a secondhand H&M sweater that miraculously lasted me like seven years. I never expected that. Never expected that. And then I've had real fancy things that were just done for within a few months. Yeah, I mean, you you never know, uh, and you know this is that's partly about wear and tear and quality, but I think that also in this day and age, it's easier than ever to resell stuff. And so, you know, yeah. if you really did get something nice and it doesn't fit your life and it hasn't fallen apart, there's probably a way to sell it on the real real or thread up or any Poshmark. of these sites, Poshmark, and let it let it be a part of you know the life of someone who wants it and um, I think that that changes the math too 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been helpful to me to think about my wardrobe as having a flow. Like that I am regularly thinking about what needs to go out and what needs to come in. Uh, okay. I think about this a lot with startups and new projects of any kind. If you're gonna start something, I believe it's the responsible thing to do to think about the exit at the beginning. Like, how might this end? Um, and like, what would be some graceful ways to end this rather than assuming that all exciting beginnings will just lead to things that last forever. Um, so yeah, I just like, uh, it, you know, at this point after practicing that for a while with my closet, I know, like I know um, some consignment shops where I like to um, bring things. I know what they'll take. I, I am very familiar with my Goodwill drop-off. I've done some really great donation hauls to thread up with their clean-out bag. Um, and then, yeah, that way it's like, okay, let's keep this flowing. Let the wardrobe be dynamic uh, in the same way that my body and my life is very dynamic. Exactly. And I think that the more that you've held that perspective, the more I'm able to inch toward it. And I think that what where I still felt stuck was just feeling so behind on not having clothes that fit the person I am now on many levels. And uh you know, what I decided to do there was to get help. You know, I think that this is a pattern in my life is that if I can find the right person to ask for help uh, and, you know, possibly pay for their services, a lot becomes possible. Like I have more hope and I, you know, spend more time thinking about it and I feel supported and things move. You know, there's a flow to, um, you know, working through my working through my issues and getting to solutions. And what I realized was that I'd had experiences in the past with trying to work with stylists. And I had this really, really great uh, person who just happened to work at Nordstrom, who I used to always try to go when she was working. And, um, you know, I had these things I did over the years. But when I thought about going to a stylist, I was like, no, <laughs> I mean, this isn't about style this is about my body and my feelings about my body you know and that's the foundation layer you know the clothes are just what's on top of that and so I basically was moping around about how I needed a style therapist and uh, my friends was like oh I have one <laughs> you can have her too you know you should reach out uh, and, uh, so I did, and, uh, she's awesome. She's so great. You know, I, I, uh, the, my problems are not solved yet, but they are well on their way to being solved. I just had a, another two hour call with her this morning where we were going through all of the stuff that I'd ordered that she'd, you know, pinned for me and going through my feelings about it. And she was like commiserating and making 
making me feel very normal uh, for all of my reactions to these clothing items. And uh, yeah, I just felt really understood and supported. And I think I'm going to get there. Um, her name is Laurel Kinney. Um, everyone uh, who is intrigued by this line of thought, I would recommend looking her up. Um, but it's, I think, just also nice to remember that there, there are people out there who can help. You know, it can be hard to find them, but they probably exist. And uh, even if you have very specific requirements for, you know, the, the personality and the, the mode of support that will work for you, there's a lot of people on this planet and there's probably someone who can help. Uh, and it's just a project to find them. Yeah. Yeah. So basically your journey um, uh, sparked me moving forward as well. Um, first of all, it turned out that Laurel is right nearby to me. So I got to meet her and make a new friend. And then I got interested in her course. So I'm doing her course right now. It's called, you can find it at styleshiftworkshop.com and she's laurelkinney.com. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, like I started checking out her course and I realized like, okay, I actually have a pretty good foundation in that I enjoy shopping for myself and I do have some clear ideas about what I like, but you know, the pregnancy changes in my body have definitely thrown me off in the sense of like, I've started to wonder, um, as my body changes so dramatically, what is still true about my style? Like, how can I have hone in on what's really right for me? What feels like it's me? Uh, because a lot of the like shapes and silhouettes or fabrics or whatever that I wore for a long time just don't work at all. Like, well, my proportions are all different and they're going to keep changing. So I was looking for like, what are those almost like um, brand attributes or uh, design criteria or something that I can lean on as I experience one big change after another, I can be like, okay, but this is still true. So let me look for something like that in a different shape or whatever. Um, and actually it's, it's been so fun and clarifying doing this course. I made a very beautiful mood board. I realized I was holding myself back from buying things that I really like because they seemed impractical. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, let me just find things that are like that that will work for me, you know? Um, so, and also like, oh my goodness, cleaning, like assessing the state of your closet and is part of the process and, you know, organizing and every culling. And I was like, oh my goodness, it is ridiculous the amount of things I already have that were buried that literally appeared on my Pinterest board. Like, oh, I really want that. And then it's like, I, I actually, <laughs> I have that. I definitely have that. I, I was pinning all of these like oatmeal colored cozy wraps and things for like fall and like new parenthood. 
and I bought one and then I went to put it away like where should I put this and I opened a drawer there was an entire drawer filled with those <laughs> I was like oh well yep it's true that I like these and I don't need any more <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing about, uh, you know, going into this, you know, really deciding to make it a project is that, you know, you'll encounter all of these little hurdles, these little puzzles, but if you're in a mode of despair, or it's already sort of too hot to touch, like you're just, you know, you, you quickly burn out from trying to solve it because it's just too fraught, then it remains unsolved, then you're just trying to work your way through a maze of how to not touch any of the hot topics. Uh, you know, related to style. But if you're really moving through it methodically and feel supported in that by a friend or by journaling or by, you know, Laurel or one of Laurel's colleagues, um, you know, if you're able to do that, my experience so far has been all kinds of things get sorted along the way. You know, I've had this really bad problem over the years with not making returns, just failing to do returns of things that don't work that I got online. And uh, this is a huge source of shame. It's so wasteful. You know, the thing sits around and I'm just like, oh, I must have missed the deadline and now it's not even worth it. But what do I do? I don't want the object. And then I just stuff it in a closet and, you know, hate myself or whatever. But this time I can't do that because first of all, I put it in my goals for working with Laurel that I not uh, miss out on any return windows uh, because just knew that would uh, that would provoke feelings of failure and be wasteful to boot. Um, so today when I couldn't sleep, I uh, like in the early hours of the morning, I made just a massive majestic spreadsheet. And you can probably tell from my tone that I love a good spreadsheet. Um, I made a massive majestic spreadsheet of everything that I'd ordered and like what size it was and I had a column for size notes and style notes and you know the color and the brand and I you know even inserted an image into the spreadsheet cell so that I could tell at a glance what it was and oh it was so satisfying to look at and I added a column for a return policy per item and the date it arrived and now I don't need to worry about whether I'm missing a return window I can just look at the spreadsheet and make a little project of it and check it off once it's returned you know it's it's so it was so easy but it was so hard to get there um diana i know how much you love spreadsheets i just want to note that like to some people that might sound really hard what you just did but <laughs> the moral of that story <laughs> is like lean into your strengths if you're good with spreadsheets make yeah. that a part of your process if you're if you're um mm -hmm. A visual person like really in, immerse in the visual part or like whatever it is um you actually like to do try to find space for that in this um <laughs> i <laughs> i've also been thinking about how um looking for maternity clothes and maternity friendly clothes has really blown up any lingering uh, perspective I might have had of like, oh, I'll finally get the clothes I really like, or finally feel like I look good in clothes when my body is different, 
when I change my body, something about it, or like, oh, there's no hope for me, though. I'll never find things that really fit my proportions. No, this is all lies because I have a watermelon sticking out of my waist. <laughs> and like, it's possible. There's, it happens for me now that, yeah, you know, I, I find things that make me feel good. And I find a lot of things that don't. But like, there's, so now I feel like whenever um, there's something where uh, even like fashion brands, clothing, clothing manufacturers are like, oh, well, you know, there are just certain body types that can't be clothed in our stuff or whatever. I'm like, no, no, no. Some people have figured out how to accommodate an extra watermelon. And then the clothes, some of those clothes <laughs> are meant to be worn after the watermelon suddenly disappears. So we can do this together, mm -hmm. people. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. And I'm seriously inspired by your maternity wardrobe. I'm going to buy some of them, even though I plan never to be pregnant again, because they're designed to look good no matter what's going on with your belly. It's great. Yeah, I mean, and not just belly. Let me tell you, there. I love how, and by love I mean hate, how a lot of maternity clothes will say, just order it in your pre-pregnancy size and it'll fit. Okay, I've never ever found that to be true. That is not true. So if you were thinking, oh, well, maybe Lisa has it easy because maybe she's like a very average pregnant woman. No, like everything changes and everything, the whole body changes in different ways for different people. So <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh... Well, um, it was so much fun to talk with you. Uh, and I can't wait to do it again soon. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Bye, Lisa. Bye.